When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone, this is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Alfie Reynolds and welcome back to Paris. On Monday morning, I was sat in the lobby of Steve Jones's hotel. That has now turned into Will Kelleher and Alex Lowe's hotel as well. You have hot-footed it from Marseille up to the French capital. How are you guys? Good to see you both. Yeah. I feel like it's a long time since we've been we, face-to-face. We've been battling slightly and apologies to some of the listeners for the audio quality of perhaps some of our dispatches from Lille and Marseille. That we're fiddling about a bit. But now we're on the full microphones. We're with Alfie, the presenter. It's great to be back. It's nice to be in Paris for the the business end, yeah. It's funny. I remember speaking to a few different people who've covered different teams at this World Cup. And they've said they kind of feel like at times the World Cup was passing them by. So is it? do you feel a little bit like that with England? You do, don't you? I do. I have, yeah. I mean, I've for my sins, I've covered England for every cough and spit pretty much. Apart from... Uh, three days where I went to see Fiji in Bordeaux and then did two days with Ireland before they played Scotland in the pool stages. And yeah, other than that, I've been at every single England press conference or media appearance or anything else. And some of it's been a little challenging, (laughs) let's say. Well, anyone who listened to the podcast on Monday would have got that tone from your dispatch from Marseille. Uh, Second ruck of the week as well, many of you will be noticing. So... This is your semi-final preview, and for that, we thought we would welcome him, one of the big hitters at the Times. Very good to see you, Sam Warburton. Big hitter, thank you. I'll take that. You must have booked me in when you thought Wales was going to get through, and now <laughs> <laughs> ITV did the same. <laughs> no, I, I, it's nice. I can cover this as a as a neutral now. So they actually got quite a nice mix on the coverage this weekend. But no, it's great to be out in Paris, and um, thanks for asking me to jump on the pod again. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure. Sam had to walk here um, and avoid a, an ongoing riot, I think. So Place de Republique <laughs> is round the corner. <laughs> And there's a big demonstration going on tonight. And I think there must be about 50 riot vans. There's police sirens going off. I don't know if people can hear them on our podcast, but was it all right, it Sam? Was. Did you get oh, through? Well, you know, literally for 30 minutes walking up is just about one, two mile stroll up here from our hotel. Roads closed, riot vans, police vans, p- people shouting. I was like, I had eyes in the back of my head just in case. I'm like walking on my own. Welcome to Paris. I know, yeah, it was. You know, if it was your first taste of Paris, you think, crikey, this doesn't feel too safe. But I think, I think we're okay now. We're all good. It was, it was kicking off less than the comment section of some of our articles. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool part of town, though. I hadn't stayed here before until earlier in the in the World Cup, and there's loads of like the Bataclan gig venue is nearby. There's there's loads of cool 
like bars and cafes. The canal, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. Corner. Usually we stay in Saint-Germain or, or somewhere that close to the, nice close spot, to the to Canadian fair. sports bar, which is where <laughs> I once spent basically an entire Six Nations weekend. <laughs> when I wasn't at the stadium, I was watching West Ham play football and then back for the Super Bowl afterwards. Um, and we had someone's like, farewell drinks in there as well. But no, no Canadian sports bar this time. Well, I'll be coming to you, Alex, for recommendations around Paris by yeah, the sounds Yeah, Canadian of sports bar called The Moose. <laughs> Very good. I look forward to the invite to some of the bars around here over the next two weeks. Yeah, as definitely. well but on this podcast we are going to be looking ahead to the semi-finals gents before we get into both of those games in a little bit more detail given how good the quarterfinals were how are you all feeling ahead of the semi-finals it's been quite funny this week in that it's kind of a race between the all blacks and the Springboks to play down the fact that they are such heavy favorites for both of those games I don't think we've well correct me if I'm wrong I don't think we've seen quarterfinals even though they were lopsided but per game, I don't think we've seen them so evenly matched, which is what made them good. I predicted um, with, with you guys a Northern Hemisphere clean sweep. And I got three of them wrong. I know two of those games you could toss a coin with. Um, Wales were quite disappointing for the, for the second half of the game against Argentina. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I've, I've been reading some of the stuff. Um, you know, Stuart Barnes seems to think there. Stephen Jones as well. I am seeing some reason for optimism with England you know like when, when you've been hearing the players when they do their press hits and the weeks gone by and we're improving we're improving I'm like you don't know whether it's just like they're just saying it where they actually believe in it but then when you watch some games like well an aspect of their game has gone well like one or two aspects of their game have gone well per group stage but they just haven't put it all together you know like some games high balls been good some games Line speed's been good. Um, like I say, like Argentina, some games the territory was really good, like against Japan. But then like when they played Fiji, I thought, you know what, they actually put some of those together. So I thought line speed was good, breakdown defence was good, kick game was pretty good, uh, speed of ball was pretty good when they attacked. So I thought, it, it is coming together. I think it might be too little too late, and South Africa are obviously going to be red-hot favourites. But I wouldn't be surprised, and teams have this, like, as a group of players, sometimes you just have this emotional peak, like which you only get to once in a blue moon as a team. And if England can get themselves to that space, because South Africa, there's, there's no, there's no trick plays or there's nothing. You know what's coming, but that's what was one thing saying that. But then you just got to stop it. That's the, and you know, you know, it's just going to be a, a brutal physical battle. You know that's coming. And South Africa, are like we know, you know it's coming, but you've got to stop it. But I think if England do get their mentality right and some of the players that they've got. I think they could get it right to to put in, I wouldn't say a shock, but to put in a much closer performance than people think. So I don't know what you boys think, but I am seeing a little bit of, it's not going to be a, oh, I could eat my words here, I don't think it's going to be a 20-30 pointer. I think they're going to put up a good fight. Might run away from at the end, but I think they'll put up a better fight than people think. I think maybe the, the closer we're getting to the game itself, the more I'm thinking it's going to be tighter. I think after the quarterfinals, I probably would have said 15, 20 points for both semis, you'd think. And I still think that probably could happen in the New Zealand-Argentina game, yeah. just by the way that you saw what New Zealand did to Italy. I know Argentina are a much better side, but once they go, they go, and they can just peel off five tries without even thinking. What I'm struggling with, I think, maybe with the England one, is working out ways where they can actually pick them off or do things that they did to the New Zealand in 2019. Like, can they do that shock and awe start at the beginning? Yeah. Do they have the cattle, as yeah. guys would call it, up front to break the gain line, batter down the front door and then go wide? Maybe. But we just haven't seen that kind of clinical taking a chances performance from England. But I think that they will maybe try and do what Wales did in 2019 to 
South Africa and just make it a horrible game and get close. It reminds me a bit maybe of what Borthwick said to the Leicester team that beat Saracens in the Prem final in 22. I think he basically said to them, like, I don't care if this is the worst game of rugby anyone's ever seen, but we will be in it with five minutes to go and we will win it. And they did with a drop goal. Yeah. And so maybe, I don't know whether that's, that's the plan, but that seems to be the way it would have to happen. When we speak to the players to around and about, they talk about by hook or by crook. That's been the, the chat for a few weeks. By hook or by crook, we'll get to Paris and then that'll be the mindset this weekend. They've been asking for everyone to have the, keep the faith the whole way through, from really from the Six Nations, but certainly through August when they were poor. But they were training hard. Borthwick was like, keep the faith, keep the faith, we'll be ready, we'll be ready. And it was really hard, as, as you said, Sam, it was really hard early on to find anything to, to, to have faith in. Like, nothing was working. And then bits, bits have started to come together. And the one thing that I, I, I'm holding on to for optimism for England is, is that Steve Borthwick is such a meticulous planner. That he is, it's not like they've rocked up in Paris this week, discovered they're playing Springboks and gone, right, what are we going to do? He has, been, he has been working on a plan for how to beat the Springboks for months. Since a training camp in Verona, it seems. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that. In July. Because they always knew that if they got through the semis, it would be France or South Africa and perhaps their similar-ish teams that, to yeah. play against. And they would, yeah, it seemed like they plotted that plan from the start. So it's not, they're not, they haven't just rocked up and gone, right, what are we going to do this week? They, this is a, a plan that's been in place for a long time and there are there are things that still need to join up like England's front row this this week is is Dan Cole Jamie George and Joe Marler who've got about 250 caps between them but have only started one test together and the second row have only started one test together and as a five they've started no test together so there are things that still need to join up but I do think that both it will have thought this through not perhaps not in the same detail that the Springboks management can because they have thirty years of working together. Those two back to when they were in the in the army together in South Africa. But uh, uh, he'll have put as much detail into this week as he possibly can do. And if they can connect some of those dots, then I think they can they can land a blow. Someone we did a Q and A on on the Times website yesterday, and someone said, "Can can England win?" Loads of people said, "Can England win?" But someone said, "Can they beat the bookies spread? Can they get within twelve? And that feels more likely mm-hmm. I think for them to to beat the Springboks who will bring on the bench they can bring on change the game in the way that they can with you know they'll change the, the halfbacks which will change the way they play it makes it really hard for a, for an England team some of whom are quite green to to last 80 minutes in that sort of environment but I just the, the reason for my optimism is I'm sure that Borthwick has put a plan in place mm. Well, so let's get into the England-South Africa game. Uh, we will also chat about Argentina against the All Blacks as well. We'll do that later in the podcast in terms of just rounding off the headlines from the England team news, I suppose. So Joe Marler in for Ellis Genge, George Martin in for Ollie Chesson. We'll get onto that. I think that's quite interesting. And then Freddie Stewart comes in for Marcus Smith, who hasn't passed his HIA. Alex, I was reading your piece in The Times today which was interesting because I all week have been thinking kind of along the lines of what Will has been saying of how do, how could England beat this South Africa team? And I've always come to the conclusion of they make it really ugly. It's a really rubbish game. But your article was maybe, I thought, suggesting something slightly different of playing at more pace, backing the fitness, which is something that we now know they were really focusing on in the warm-ups, maybe to the detriment of some of their performances in the build-up to the tournament. Do you think actually England could approach it in... A different way to maybe how some people expect. I yeah, from one or two conversations I've had. So at the fitness side, in the week that they uh, played, so the Fiji game, mm. 
in the quarterfinal, the player load in that game was 40% less than the load that was being put through the players in the in August, in the week they played Ireland in August. So that's why Jamie George is playing 80 minutes consecutive weekends. Like they, they will back themselves to last in this game, even with the punishment, the physical punishment that they'll they'll receive. But I don't think they have the physicality to stand toe to toe with South Africa and take them on. They'll have the physicality to stand to stand up for themselves, but I don't think there's any they're not going to just go toe-to-toe in a slugfest and, and, and beat them, I don't think. And from one or, two, one or two conversations that I, I was having earlier in the week, I think a few people pointed me towards the way that Ireland play. If they back their fitness to try and keep it, play, play more phases, keep it alive a bit more, keep the pace as high as they can, maybe keep the ball in play more. They've picked Freddie Stewart, they've picked the best aerial back three they have. Now we saw how dangerous the, the Springboks were against France when the ball fell loose and Colby mm. killed them. But I, I think that England are more likely to try and play how Ireland played against South Africa than play how South Africa play. Can I ask you a question, Sam, about as the former player in the room, your teams with Wales and the Lions absolutely pride themselves on their fitness and the camps you did in Poland and up in Feisch in Switzerland and all that stuff and getting yourselves ready for these World Cup games. When you know you're super fit, what does that give you or what do you feel like it in the back end that sort of last quarter of matches when when it's when you fit it all the right way how does that actually manifest itself for a, a, someone who played the back row yeah no good question um it's kind of when you see yourself struggling in the game this is something that i remember the coach would tell us to go when you're hurting and you're in pain have the presence of mind to look up and look at the opposition and i guarantee you they're hurting more so when you're sort of defending or you're attacking and I'm thinking, oh my God, like I'm sucking it in right from the depth of my lungs. I take a moment just to look across and then say you're playing South Africa, for example, and you see similarly half their pack bent over sucking it in. You're like, oh yeah, no, we are. It's not just me, you know? And and you do see that you can take... And when you can see the where, how you're stressing teams from a physical perspective like that, and that's why I think, I agree with you, Alex, I think when you look how France caused damage against South Africa, England aren't going to cause damage against South Africa by having eight sluggy carries off nine, just one one pass rugby. They haven't got the physical dominance to do that. They, they can't do it. But where France caught them cold is when, like, DuPont, quick tap and go, or dummy drive and go out, two quick phases, score again. You know, it's, it's, when, it's when it's quick. So... You might. I don't think England have got necessarily the, the finishing ability to play quick and score three tries. They're just not going to do that overnight. But what they have got the ability is to, to play quick and win penalties for players not running away or offside or South Africa chasing the ball at breakdown. And then England can just take the threes like, like they did against Argentina. So And the drop goals, maybe. Yeah, and the drop goals. So I think it's, it's stressing them to force penalties. And then like the All Blacks do brilliantly, once you get that penalty, then take a risk. Go for a cross field or go for a ball out wide. So I think that's where England are going to can cause them trouble. They're not just going to miraculously score three or four. I'm not saying that. But the quick ball that they can hopefully generate from really smart starter players. And like you say, Alex, if Steve Borthwick and his backroom staff can manufacture some really clever starter players on Libok, who is poor in D, or crossfield bombs on Colby, who's weak in the air, you know, really shamelessly expose those two guys like go go there every single time just like Edspeth did when he just went straight to Jalibert people are like oh it's a great power player no it's not it's just Edspeth put his head up saw there was front five forwards in front of him and there was a and number 10 was right hand side so he just ran at the 10 like you know it's that's rugby it's quite simple big man beat small man so if England can manufacture those small 
wins like an aerial bomb or like a getting Manu at Libok and getting three or four quick phases, get a penalty, take a cheap three, start again. You know, that's how I think they're going to win the game. Oh, I was at the Springboks presser on Tuesday with Razi Erasmus, who was having a bit of fun and games on the on the village theatre stage in, in this town north of Paris. Is this when, was it you that got the... His England team, what he yeah. thought would be. He got it, he got it wrong, didn't he? He got it wrong, he got it wrong. Time's got it he right. He was reading out a whole <laughs> list of stats to, to try and demonstrate how close this game was going to be at same average age, same average weight, same average caps, same average minutes played. I love this, by the way. Sorry to interrupt again. This goes back to what I was saying earlier there about the Springboks and the All Blacks desperately trying yeah, to yeah. make it be that they are not such heavy favourites. So I just said, Razzie, I'd love to know what the England team you've got written on that sheet. Fully expecting him to go, like, not say anything and he just he went okay and he just read the, read out the whole thing he got the props wrong that was the key thing and Martin he didn't have Martin he didn't have Martin and he was I thought it was interesting that he was unsure at fullback because he therefore thought there was a chance that Marcus Smith might might play now Smith's out with, with concussion but at that presser he referenced the drop goal strategy that England used against Argentina and I think that's that could be massive yeah. because one of the things that, that England haven't managed to connect well is is red zone conversions like they they was it Samoa they scored twice from 12 visits mm, in Samoa yeah, 22 like that, yeah. they've been poor in that stat for a while as they well, have they? they they just struggle to get, get literally get over the line and I just wonder if if they can generate some earn some territory through all those areas that we've just discussed the moment they're within within range just, just pull it back to Owen Farrell and, and try and have a shot. Certainly early on to try and build three six nine. I hundred percent agree, and I think three six nine is so underrated in international rugby. And I used to get a bit of criticism for it, but I know from like being on the other end of it, you have a game. You have a game plan, and if you have a game plan and you go three six nine down, say when you talk about teams being patient, they're in that kick battle. When you look at the scoreboard, and you're six points down or nine points down. It only takes one player of that 15 to step outside the game plan and think, oh, I'm going to run it. And then they run into like a really good kick-chase defence, they get a turnover, and then you can kick again and go for three again, for example. If you can just get the first three, six, nine points, and you then you pin, keep asking South Africa, you keep putting them back in their half, and be really patient with it. You're just waiting for one of them to step outside the game plan. And that's why getting an early lead is so important. If England don't get an early lead, then you fear if England try chasing it, then they will be running down a dark alley. But if England can get an early lead and just try and force Africa just to somebody show some inexperience and just, you know, run it back naively, and then they can pounce. That's why those three six nines are so important. So I think England don't have to be able to score three, four tries, but if they can put on that early pressure and just put the ball in South Africa's court and say, come on then, have exit from five metres out, see what you can do. And you can gamble, you can go up in the air there, you know. That's what England have got to try and do and make it as uncomfortable as possible. So I agree, yeah, try and get 369. If they can do that early, they, they got, they got a chance to hang in longer than we think. Well, that maybe brings us on to the tactical kicking game as well, because I wonder how much Damien Willems's mark in the 22 calling for a scrum could play into the way England approach it with the boot and that might also lead us into the fact that they with their front row have gone for their best scrummaging front row as well yeah I mean yeah so I think it seems that England's selection of their front rows is a fair bit to do with the bench as well they've seemed in this tournament Alex haven't they to to be avoiding using Gend and Sinclair at the same time and also Marla and Cole but now they've done it they've gone 
for both. And I think, I suppose, if they're looking at what would be the perfect game for, Eng- for England, is that they're in the game with 20 minutes to go and then Gend and Sinclair come on and they've got their lovely tip passes that they've done for years. They carry aggressively. They're a bit more dynamic than Cole and Marler. When everyone's a little bit more tired, they'll start getting people into spaces, not just straight at faces. That, that decision to call a scrum after Valencia... The alpha flex. It was <laughs> the most alpha decision I've ever seen on the rugby field. But it was also incredibly clever. They I won, think. won a penalty from the scrum. Yeah. They won a penalty from the scrum and they then actually didn't... They mistouched, they they mistouched yeah, with it. True. But it, it was not only effective on the day, but that and the... Um, Chesney Colby charge down of Thomas Ramos's um, conversion was, I just think, a brilliant piece of coaching ingenuity. Like it's all within the, the laws, just very, it's very rarely executed. And, and the calling a scrum off a mark, I, I've never seen. It. I, I'm sure you've ever seen it. To be honest, I, I wasn't sure you could do that. I didn't know because no one's ever done it. Yeah. So I thought, oh yeah, no, of course it is like it's a, a free kick. Free kick, yeah. So of course, yeah, you, so but you can do it. The the impact of it, I'm fascinated by because. It, it didn't just work that day because the box wanted they wanted more scrums against France, but yeah. it's in, in England's head now. And we were sitting here at breakfast timing how long Farrell takes from his first movement to strike in the ball, just on, on our phones. And he's, uh, he's on about two and a half seconds, roughly. And Colby took just over three to get to the charge down. It's like, like a pitcher's wind-up, isn't can't, it? Like, there's no room for of, delay yeah, there. Yeah. So that's already in the head of a, of a kicker who's already got the clock on his mind from earlier in. And actually hasn't been kicking that hasn't brilliantly. Hasn't kicking that well. But, but the scrum decision, England are a team who, who kick long, yeah. just like, just like yeah, France yeah. do. And that, that decision or that option is now comes with a, with a whole other set of consequences. Now, do they kick long and then accept the scrum? Do they have to therefore kick shorter? Or do they kick differently at angles? Contestable. It's so. It's so interesting. So, so I kick long and hope they do it. And, and I, the reason I say this is, well, by the way, England's bench I think is probably one of the most impactful benches they've picked for a long yeah, time. Yeah, Billy Napoli as well. Imagine yeah. Genge, um, Dan Sinclair, Chesham's a ball of energy. Vinopolis bringing some great collision in, in defence off lines. People when he comes on, so I think it's a really impactful bench. Care so Ford, uh, Lawrence as well. Yeah, exactly. So it's a mm. great Lawrence brings that physicality. Care and mm. Ford can bring a bit of tempo and composure. So I, I think it's a really good, really good bench. But I remember when um, when we played. I hate to be like all me, but just I'm just thinking like examples. It's happened. It's okay, I Sam, like you've it. played it lots works of better than rugby. me going. <laughs> this game I played for old Tunisians. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to. Yeah, I'll start telling you about Clifton under fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> Lost the cup final. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember um, when we played the Lions in 2017 and Warren Gatton was chatting to us because he obviously had a little bit of an insight to the, the Kiwi mentality. And he said, where do you think they're going to come for you? And uh, we were like, oh, they're going to play quick and try and play tempo and stuff like that. He said, no, you're wrong. They'll come where you're not expecting it and they'll come where you think you're strong. So they're going to come for us at Mall and they'll come for us at Scrum. And they did. They went. They went. When we had a Scrum where there was a Mall, they mauled when they could and really tried to because then if, that, if they take away your DNA you suddenly go oh my you look at each other like oh, game plan A is out the window you know so and that worked that day didn't it yeah yeah it worked so I'm thinking if it was England I'd be like take the scrum and you fire yourself up like you've never fired because imagine if you, they took the scrum South Africa and England turned them over you can get up from that scrum that momentum shift you know, and, and psychologically as a playing group bit of a gamble but it would be enormous so I'd be if I was England I wouldn't be like let's try and play around them I'd be like go where they're strong 
and surprise them in the first five, ten minutes, you know? So, I don't know. I'd let, If they called the scrub, if I was England, I'd be looking at each other. God, I hope they do. I hope, I hope the first one of Lemza catches, he calls <laughs> yeah. a scrum. It I'd love it. And the England boys would love it. Yeah. The stadium, it's... Yeah, they people get bored of scrums. That's in that scrums kind of situation, awesome. that would yeah. be absolutely awesome. Yeah, but my fear with that, and the reason I asked about the front row in England picking what we think is their strongest scrummaging front row, is I feel like it almost doesn't matter who they pick in that front row. They are weaker than the box at the scrum, and I probably expect it to be a weakness. So there's some interesting stats we've unearthed. It plays the reason why Marla's starting, and it seems that essentially he's one of the cleanest scrummagers when they look at the Premiership, and... If the guys that watch the Prem and watch Quinns a lot will know that. that I mean, it helped that for a lot of it, he had Wilco Lowe on the tight head. Uh, and Will Collier, actually, a really good tight head with him. But he, the, the, the amount of penalties that Quinns conceded when he was on the field is dramatically less than when he's not. And referees do their due diligence. You know, they don't just, t- they, like players do. Players look at opposition. Referees will look at opposition and look at trends that break down at scrum and things like that. So, yeah, if he's clean, then it makes sense. To but, but that was a, just going back to the Mark thing. Razzy Rasmus explained it in a day or so afterwards. And some of the reason they did it was to because when they played France in November 2022, there were not very many scrums in the game at all. Certainly not on the South African put-in. And so he basically wanted to force a scrum early in the game to paint a good picture to the referee and say, look at us, we're dominant and we're clean. Do it early. And then he's got that in his head. And Ben O'Keefe had refereed another South Africa game against Scotland. Was it Scotland or Ireland? It was Ireland, wasn't it? And he's now refereeing this game. So he's got a, a picture in his mind of a South African dominant scrum. And England have had this perception of being a weaker scrum that they've been trying to rebuild. So... It, there was a there was a tactical reason to get in the ref's head as well as the whole alpha thing of we're just going to clean you up in the scrum here. Another one as well mentioned it already. George Martin in for Ollie Chesham. So I think that's all partly scrum related. Okay. Um, he's listed as the same weight as Ollie Chesham. Bit more like I, farmer strength. Maybe. Those weights are full of. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You're right, Alex. I see these stats coming up, and I play. I look at the program and I'm like playing to number seven. I'm like. He thinks he's five kilos heavier than me. And then, like, you know, you do as a man, you, you, you stand up at scrum time and you don't make it obvious, but you're looking across, I'm like, there's no way he's got five kilos on me. Like, you know, it's a lie. So you're right, man. I yeah. think Martin's significantly bigger. Yeah, and he, he's, certain, he, he's in the top three dominant tacklers in the Premiership. Both it was saying today that, you know, the front row love having him behind, behind them, tight head lock. Interesting. Um, Leicester Tigers were saying, because last season he played back row and lock. And his numbers are the same. His impacts, his tackles, his his impacts at the ruck, his carries are the same whichever position he plays, which I think is really impressive. And so he's there for the same reason they've picked Marler and Cole. They've gone heavy duty, scrum, physicality, as dominant figures physically as they have. And then they've picked a dynamic bench for the, for the last, for Q4 as Borthwick calls it, the last 20. Cool, we'll move on to the Argentina All Blacks game in just a second. There are a couple more I wanted to ask on on this game, though, and maybe coming to you with this one, Sam, in that I find it really interesting that both the Springboks and the All Blacks haven't... Ch- I mean, the Springboks are unchanged. The All Blacks will come on to in a sec and made a couple of changes. I'm, I find it so interesting that they have done that, given the matches that they've come through, both physically and mentally. Last week in the quarterfinals, I was convinced that they were going to rotate more than they have. I wonder just from a player's perspective, six-day turnaround, the kind of games they have just come through, is it 
easy? It's a World Cup semi-final. It's easy to get yourself back to a similar place, or is that quite a challenge for for the, the Springboks and the All Blacks? It's hard. It's hard, and I think this is where the experienced coaches come in. Um, so, for example, uh, and I'm just going to use another me like example. Just like, but say the Lions, like the third test, didn't train for four days. We went away on both tours on the last week, and people go, "What are they doing? Not training?" So look, like England now, like they, they've been together for three months training. If you don't know the moves by now, you'll never know them. So it's not really about training time now. It's just making sure that you're in the right mental space and you've recovered properly. So like Sean Edwards, obviously, who's an, one of the excellent coaches I've had, we'd have like a, you'd have a defensive section and say if it was planned to be six, seven minutes long, doesn't sound long, but say he had a drill, which is six or seven minutes. If in the first one minute, boys are smashing each other and he can see we're on it, he just... Blow the whistle, done. I, I can see you there. I know you. I know you can hit that mental space. We'll park it. I want to see it again Saturday. You know. So, where I think when you get some um, novice, not novice coaches, you still get novice coaches, but maybe inexperienced coaches at international level, they kind of feel they want to cover everything in the training week. You can never cover everything. You can't cover half of it. You know. You just got to trust the players will deliver on some of it and do their analysis, and you can do a lot of video. But on the training pitch, you can't do it all. So I think it takes experienced coaches to take a step back. Let the players actually recover. Make sure they're in the right mental space more than anything. And that's what you've got to do on a six-day turnaround. You can't try and squeeze in three good training days. It's just not going to happen. And if it does, the players will be running around. And after 10 minutes, you look at each other like, are your legs like jelly? My legs are, go- are gone. And you're like, we've got the training week wrong, you know? So when I see a lack of intensity in a game, I often think it's not really emo- – I don't think it's emotion. Like, players are always so proud of their country. That's sometimes when fitness and coaching staff have to go – Oh, we we did too much in the training week, you know. So short training week. Trust the lads that they'll do the business and just make sure that they're in the right, the right mental space. And the experienced international coaches do that best. So is that where the box maybe have half a percent or more than that over England? Because although England have got Alan Walters, who's probably the most famous S and C coach out there, apart from and Bobby's he's Welsh, and, and he's, he's Welsh. Welsh, yeah. Oh, there's there's a Welshman in the semis. He did me yeah. under 18s level for Wales. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So and he knows what the box are going through because he was with them last time. But if you just look at the England coaching team, quite a lot of them are in the early part of their career. Even though Steve Borthwick was an assistant, has done stuff with the Lions, done stuff with Eddie, and was there in 2019. Richard Wigglesworth was only a player the season just gone. Kevin Sinfield's been only in the sport for three years. Tom Harrison has come through the Leicester kind of uh, conveyor belt of going through the sort of feeder academy stuff to then the first team and now he's in the England job. Whereas, as Alex mentioned earlier, Razi Erasmus and Jacques Ninaba have known each other for 25 years, been working together all around the world and then they've got all these other guys who have had so much experience. They've been together for that four-year cycle, five, six. They know how to taper these weeks. It's a great question, right? And this is where I think a head coach and a leader is worth their weight in, in... worth their weight in gold because there's no point in getting expert people in like Alid Walters if you don't listen to him. So the the best, there's, we had a, an amazing, well, we had, I've had loads of great S&C coaches, but we had one really good S&C coach, uh, Lions 13, Wales back in the 11, 12 and 13 days when we, we were pretty sort of pretty good. And I didn't realise this until afterwards, but like we sit down for a team meeting on a Thursday, th- have lunch, we're about to go out for like a Thursday afternoon session. And even... The coach would even gats would even let us get all strapped up with the physios, you know, like we think we're gonna do training. Do the twenty minute meeting, whatever, analysis clips and what we're gonna focus on. And then he'd say, Training's off. And we'd all be like, What? Like is he trying to But he's obviously the S and C guy's gone up to him and gone, Look, the boys have gone through 
this much you know collision this much um on the gps data this many meters this many high speed meters they're doing too much and we're going to that we're heading towards overtraining you know but if the head coach has got an S&C like an Alan Walters who if Alan Walters went to Steve Borthwick you don't just want yes men in your in your backroom staff you want people who can challenge you and say look I think we're, we're doing this wrong you know I'm sure Alan Walters is the sort of guy who would he's a very experienced S&C coach in England are lucky to have him and go look I think we've done too much or we should only do this much this week if then Borthwick goes great I'll trust you no problem that's when you've got really good backroom staff so when when I've spoken or players spoke about our oh, really good backroom staff, it's when you have really highly qualified, experienced backroom staff who are actually allowed to have an input. And I know there's some who just, they don't want to challenge the coach. They feel that the coach doesn't give them the perception they can challenge them because they rule with an iron fist. Borthwick doesn't give me that impression. You know, I think he would empower the staff beneath him to tell him that. So if they do listen to their staff, and that's where the SNC have a huge role. SNC have a massive role in making sure, that, uh, sorry, strength and conditioning when I say SNC. The strength and conditioning coach has a huge role in making sure the team's prepared. Not, it's not just the coaches, you know. If they can listen to him, then, yeah, it'll give them a good good opportunity to be in good shape. It was interesting. So today, um, for their team announcement press conference, England were over an hour late. And the time it was supposed to start, we were told that they were still training. And the thought of exactly what you said earlier about, like, Borthwick's trying to cover everything here. And obviously, we can't see them train. They don't allow us in. But my first thought was, are they trying to do too much here? They're, it's, they're running an hour late. And then I remembered something that Alan Walters had told us, that one of the most formative mistakes that he made was when he was at Munster with Razzie, I think it would have been with Razzie, yeah. 2015 in the Pro 14 final against Glasgow. And he, and he mismanaged the training load that week. And he said, I didn't pull back. And by the time we saw it, it was too late. Interesting. And it he's shows, like, yeah. that has, that, he's had a few kind of key experiences like that. I had one at Scarlet's where... Uh, Mark Taylor said to him, I've had some angry S&C coaches in my life, but none like you. And, that's, and you're so negative. You're so ne- sorry, negative. Yeah. So I've had some negative coaches in my life, but none like you. And that's when he went, I'm not being myself, because he's not a negative guy. So that, like, and, but anyway, this, this monster anecdote came, then came to mind. I was like, Alan Waters won't let Borthwick do that. And that's what Borthwick wants. He wants someone to come in and just tell him, tell him what's what. It's, it's teed up the first 10 minutes. Nice now. We'll say the first 10 minutes of the game. If England look on point and full of energy then you're like they've got the training week right you know so it gives them a chance then well it's fascinating isn't it very finally then boys you've done a great job there i think the first 20 minutes of that chat i was like england are gonna do it here <laughs> <laughs> look at it we're finding all these reasons about how they can get at south africa but i looked up when i was sat in the heath road departures earlier i was looking at the times online there was a poll up of who will win england or south africa at that point there were about nine thousand votes 80 percent of them for the box where are probably, all? I think that's is that about fair. right. Do you I think, think? I think I said one in to five some of my chance. mates back home. I was like, I think it's probably about a two in ten England win this. Yeah, which is not. We're not disrespecting them by saying that. I think that's just from where they've been and where they've come. Yeah, we're saying there's a chance. We're not saying it's yeah, a yeah, yeah. conclusion. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, same. That's yeah. Right. I think it'll be. I think it'll be as I said earlier. I think it'll be tighter than I thought it was going to be. If that makes sense. But I still just can't see England scoring enough points to yeah. beat South Africa and not conceding loads i know we're talking posit- positively about england but i think it would it'd be strange quite an upset in a semi-final but it would be one of the shocks of the tournament if, yeah, if they won absolutely you know? yeah. yeah and that's actually probably quite a good point there sam we've understandably focused on it from an england point of view we spoke about the box on on monday and how good they have been and i think how much of an all-round game they have now compared with where they used to so be so many more layers to yeah the game, that's one of the big takeaways for me is they are 
they've got all the backs out wide to do a lot of damage, not just the, the bruisers up front. I tell you what, we'll park England, South Africa there. Up next on the pod, we will uh, finish things off with Argentina against the All Blacks. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So the first semi-final, Friday night, Argentina against New Zealand. Just to round off the team news, I know many of you will have seen it by this point, but Mark Talea comes back in after he was dropped for the quarterfinal. I think he was a, came back late after a night out or something. Uh, he replaces Leicester. Which is a good effort, by the way, because if you've seen where the All Blacks are staying, there is not much around. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's the problem. He, came, he went too far <laughs> yeah, away. Probably, to, uh, serious Mulan, Uber. <laughs> Uber home from the Moulin Rouge. <laughs> So he comes in for Leicester, Fainga Nuku, who drops out of the 23 entirely, and Sam Whitelock comes in for Brody Retallick, who is then on the bench. For Argentina, Bertrand, who comes in at scrum half, replacing Kubeli. So not a huge amount of team news from either of them. I suppose, look, the, the England-South Africa game, we suspect the box heavy favourites for. This is even more so, isn't it, with, with New Zealand against Argentina? How do we see this one going? This one, I'm way more down... England, I'm opti- I've got some slight optimism. I cannot see how Argentina... Like, England have shown stuff, you know, in patches. Argentina have shown, I think, very little. Maybe against Japan, but no, no disrespect as Japan. Let me clutch um, at some straws then from an Argentinian point of view, which is clutching at straws, by yeah. the way, here, Sam. is They're an experienced side in terms of you look at the players that have been at World Cups before, been at this stage of World Cup before. And there's a number of them as well who have been part of those Argentina sides that have beaten the All Blacks. I appreciate that that is, you know, no, it's if, valid. if we get into a yeah. kind of tactical point of view, then it maybe gets a bit bit more tricky. That's the, the thing that I can come up with in that I think there will at least be belief in this Argentinian team that they can do it. Now, when we said like we're sort of 80-20, eight, you know, in South Africa to England, I'd be like 90-10. New Zealand to Argentina, but the ten percent isn't from what they've shown me in the World Cup. It would be from what you've said. It's because Argentina they got the experience of beating them before, but they've got they're that one team. And I remember um, I remember Martin Johnson saying this. I remember thinking, oh, he's bang on right actually. Argentina, one of those teams in world rugby who can just hit this emotional peak that not many teams can hit, and they just suddenly have these like out of these world performances where they just play like they're men possessed, you know. And I haven't seen that performance from them yet. So it makes me think, well, maybe on the biggest stage that could bring it out. So that's why I have that reserve 10% for them because maybe they can just turn it on emotionally and hit a level that they haven't hit for 18 months since they beat the All Blacks last. And yeah, having players who've beaten them is a big thing. You know, it is a big thing, but that that's the the small straw that, that I'm clutching onto. What, does this matter at all? But what about the crowd? Because... The All Blacks fans traditionally, well, firstly, they've got a long way to come to get here to start with, and so did Argentina, but not quite as far. But the All Blacks fans are never, they're never the like the Welsh or the Argentinians yeah. or the Irish where they're absolutely singing no matter what. They're sort of always the best team, largely. So it's sort of entertain us and then we'll give you some support. Whereas the Argentinians, we were talking about it on our pod from Marseille, 
absolutely all over it hours before the game if you're not standing up you're not Argentinian all that sort of stuff this hand throwing thing that they do that we were trying to explain on the last pod as a player Sam does that do you actually feel taller or bigger because of that I mean all those days you would have had the the Millennium and Principality must have helped they will have the neutrals as well does that actually give you five points or something or not really it does It, it sounds like a real marketing thing you know 16th man and you know come down like 24th man these days come on 24th (laughs) sorry it is a squad game Um, (laughs) but like it it is a thing it is a thing and what it does like I've never gone to an away stadium and thought oh this is intimidating I'm not going to try anything it doesn't put off the away team it's like it's just noise it's just whatever it's just the away team whatever but what it does do is it, it lifts the home team massively so if I was playing at Principality for example that that lift is amazing when you hear them, you know, and I'm sure it's the same whether it's whatever home team, you know, when they get behind their home team. It doesn't put, off, doesn't put me off, but you can see how it lifts how it lifts over teams. So, yeah, if there is a big group of neutrals following Argentina or there's more Argentinian fans there, then you feel they need that energy for this, like, the snowball into that emotional performance I was on about. So that could be quite, a, quite an important factor. What, what England did well in the opening game was they, they quietened that crowd pretty quickly um even with 14 and what wales failed to do was was put them away in in the quarterfinal three blown line outs and a couple of blown line breaks i think like five chances to score the try that would have put them 17 up and suddenly all the pumas fans are sitting down and the pumas players heads go down and that's where the all blacks are so ruthless like i i've probably mentioned it before but i was at the the game against Italy and you're trying to you're trying to work out as the game is going on trying to contextualise what does this mean that the game was over after 20 minutes and they, they kept attacking and they kept scoring it was seven tries in the first half seven in the second and as it unfolded I was like what what you take from this is that this is this is a statement win because it sent a message to everybody that they only need one chance to score a try and so even if the pupils can fight and scrap and use like draw an emotion and the fans are are on their feet and jump, literally jumping because it's tight. The All Blacks will score like that, like that because they they are so accurate and so ruthless. And that that Italy game for me, after the they were they were flat against France. I thought they started well in the opening game, and then France just controlled the second half. And I was like, wow, this this All Blacks team might be as as poor as, as we thought. But then I watched the Italy game and thought, actually, this is them coming together. And those Argentina, correct me if I'm wrong, but those Argentina victories were against an All Blacks team that didn't have Joe Schmidt in the coaching box. Very, yeah, Christchurch twenty two would have been yeah, yeah, massive difference to them. So they're they're intelligent. And Jordi Barrett wasn't playing against France either, and he is unbelievable yeah. at the moment. They, as a 12, that, so. that, that, that held up over the line. I mean, that it was just ridiculous. 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 They they remind me and maybe less so in recent years but the All Blacks have always reminded me a bit of the some of the old Australian cricket teams where once they've got the foot on the throat you're gone like there's no letting totally. anyone back in like that naughty Aussie team you get mm. them eight nine down bowling and you're just gone you're not getting a nice little 50 run partnership at the end yeah. of the game yeah. and that was probably evidenced in that Italy match of like we're not just going to score three or four tries. We're going to score like 10, do you know what, 12. Do you know what? I, I, something to, to back up your, your point, Will, which is so true. Like when you play the All Blacks and like people say, oh, you can't switch off, you know, and it sounds a bit of a cliche. So what do you mean? Well, like, for example, I'll never forget. There's one time we went to box kick 
and where you normally have that like ruck three men deep it was maybe like two men deep you know and the nine didn't take his time to get a third man and got charged down they got the ball back oh god game over you know and then like but that's where on your point of like putting the foot on the throat they don't switch off or rarely rarely switch off and maybe those defeats have sharpened their minds a bit I can't remember who it was. It was one of the substitute props. And it's only a small moment. I caught it on the refs, mic. I was re-watching them. They caught a final earlier yesterday or whenever it was. And one of the guys, it was a back, was at the front of the ruck. And this prop, I can't remember which one it was. He was behind him. I couldn't quite pick it up. I just heard, heard the, the, the voice on the refs, mic. He was like sort of supporting him behind the ruck. But the back looked like, you know, his head was down. He wasn't in a good body shape. So that, that could have been like a dangerous counter-ruck kind of opportunity for, for Ireland. And I heard him just saying, head up, don't switch off, counter-ruck. And then the back just sort of like went like this. And But I thought, oh, that, that's, they're small moments where worse a team switch off. They, they get lazy at ruck time. They get counter-ruck, turnover, momentum shift, kick to the corner. And it's a small moment. But that's where I think when you get like the good All Blacks teams or the top teams in the world, they don't switch off those small moments because people will look at the try. But then when you analyse it, like, actually, it was it was the the back three player who was just got counter-rucks, he switched off at the front and that's what gave him the te- penalty in territory, you know, and because the All Blacks just seemed in a different mental space and you watch the game and they were just like that all the time, just like, you know, non-stop, even if it was just competing at breakdown, they just non-stop flying into it, just wouldn't let, wouldn't let Ireland breathe and I'm like, that's when you get the ruthless All Blacks teams they do that. And you mentioned experience there for the Pumas, I mean, I was, I, I just did the little team announcement piece in the Times yesterday that was Argentina and New Zealand picked their teams. And a couple of mind-boggling stats about Sam Whitelock. Um, so it's going to be his 152nd test. What's the record? What's Alan Wynn on? Uh, he was 160-odd, if you counted the Lions, yeah. So, yeah. so he'd be getting close, but he's probably not going to go much longer, is he? This will be kind of out on the sword, won't it? Out on the shield, even. Um, not out on the sword, that's a bit of a different thing. <laughs> on the sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 152nd test fourth World Cup semi-final and he could become the first ever player to make three World Cup finals wow. I mean that you can't get better experience of that in games like this and that's where you just think and he got that winning turnover at the end of the day yeah, and he came yeah. on and got that he's now know. got grey hair but he's still doing it I mean it's and, amazing and just to go back to the point about can they back it up you know they, they had to reach such a physical and emotional mental high to get through to this point the obvious question is: Can do, do they need to get that high again to beat Argentina? And therefore, does that does that conversation happen between the prop and the and, and the and the back at the at the ruck? Because are they quite as tuned in? That's one area that is fascinating. I would expect that they would reach that because it's a semi final and, and all all the things that we've discussed about this stage. But it is one of those areas that is a fascinating psychological study of when you don't have to be quite as on it. Mm. what's the sort of butterfly effect of that through a game and the interesting thing I think with the All Blacks this year is we'd known that they were capable of incredible performances because I think they kind of produced that in the rugby championship against South Africa the issue has been the consistency which is why I think seeing if there's a drop off from the performance against France will be interesting final thing and it's one of those ones that feels ridiculous bringing up the weather but I thought it was maybe worth mentioning conditions have change quite rapidly it like it's pretty wet in paris and it's going to be my jumpers for the first time well there you go exactly (laughs) we're not in shorts anymore no um but like conditions have it's forecast to be quite wet over the next few days i just wonder whether that could play any impact maybe it it helps england and and argentina i don't know i always find this funny because like i lived in new zealand for a year and i know when we talk about particularly rugby yeah, you go like, oh, true. super rugby, flat tracks, yeah. everyone. And you're like, mate, come on. It's like, hanging, that it's second test in New time. Zealand, yeah. 
the Lions 17 was the rainiest game I've ever been at. It was ridiculous. I think that. Like, yeah, because they play, what, it's, it's their winter, isn't it? So, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, the super, super So that would have been is, late July and that yeah, was their winter, yeah. The Dunedin was absolutely knobbling. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Well, that's yeah. where they got the roof now, isn't it? Yeah, Dunedin, so I, yeah. I, think they, I think, yeah, they're, they're probably used to wet weather, maybe more yeah, than the Argies, no, maybe. Um, I mean, because it would suit... Like Argentina do dip into that scrum and maul, even though it's not the stereotypical strength that we might have thought it was going years back. So I don't, I don't actually don't know who it would suit, but I, I do think the All Blacks have got so much experience of playing in wet. It's probably more of a thing for the England South Africa game. We think South Africa would be a big advantage if England can't put pace on against South Africa to try and force penalties. I think they'll struggle. But I, I do, yeah. I think in that England game that if I guess as we saw in the box quarterfinal against France, that if there's a bobbling ball, if they're, if they're going to the air. And it's harder to catch, and there's more, more dropped balls, more dropped box kicks. Therefore, more Lost. chaos, mm-hmm. more counter-attacking opportunities. That's where uh, Kurt Lorenzo and and Colby come into it. So it may have a, may, it may force them to go long and, and call for the scrum. Some heavy lifting from that ad- adhesive spray that we see. Oh, yeah. Did you put that on a lot? I wasn't blessed with handling ability, as you boys will know from watching. You probably me play. put it all the way up your arm. Then, I used to use half a tin on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> It was a nightmare is to it, wash but off. But is after. it weird? Does it stick to other stuff, not just the ball? Like, yeah, the annoying. You start thing clapping. You're going, like, oh, hang on, my hands are stuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, what was annoying. I found that you got to use it. You got to get the right amount because if you put too much on, particularly if you're playing like a forward, you're obviously getting up and off the deck all the time. So you might put your hand down. You've got loads of blades of grass. Yeah, of course. Then you're frantically like aggressively squeezing water bottles on your hand to try and get the grass <laughs> off. You're like, oh, I've shot myself in the foot here. So yeah, you need to put in enough, but not too much. Otherwise, it is it becomes a nightmare. Yeah. It's all about these details, Alfie. World Cup semi-finals. <laughs> the one percenters. Yeah. Yeah, quite Don't right. Get grass stuck to your hand. Let, <laughs> let's round it off then, boys. That final semi-final, All Blacks win, I'd imagine we're all going for. Yeah. 35-12. Oh, exact score prediction. About that. I like it. Roughly. Sounds about right. I think some, yeah. I was going to guess something yeah. like that. Yeah, okay. 20 points. So we're expecting an all black South Africa final. England maybe have the better chance of the upset. Enjoy the rugby this weekend. Just a reminder as well that Will's How to Win the World Cup series is available in your Ruck feed, wherever you get your podcast from. So if you haven't listened to all of them, do. They're a really good listen. You've been, you were chatting, Will, to a winner of every World yeah. Cup winning team. Yeah, and how they did it. The, the last one was with Francois Lowe, which is probably quite relevant to this week with course, yeah. South Africa. And I think we mentioned it on the pod the other day, but I just liked a couple of the anecdotes. One of them where, because they had kind of won the game with 10 minutes to go, he remembers a moment where he was packing down at a scrum and suddenly saw on the big screen there engraving the trophy with South Africa on it. And he was like, oh, that's a bit weird. Come on, like keep your game face on. And he saw over the scrum Billy Vinopola who also had seen it and was going ah right okay try and keep your face on kind of thing <laughs> that is awkward so there's loads well that's a very good example of loads of nice little anecdotes in there from the various World Cup winning teams also on that 2019 one uh, tune in just to find out what the Wi-Fi password was for the, when they played Japan the week they were playing Japan yeah. in, in that match because that's quite a nice little bit but we'll be back on Monday looking back on the semi-finals this has been The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times make sure you follow and subscribe us wherever you get that podcast from. See you on Monday. <laughs>